Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. Okay, so joining me today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Peter Akerson, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Chandler McLeod. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Gabrielle. <laughs> Delighted to be part of your program. Excellent. Now, you've been um, CEO of Chandler McLeod for, since March, since you were March. saying. Yeah, yeah. so uh, um, my shareholder has put the two businesses they've owned since 2015 in Australia together. And so we're merging the Channel McLeod Group and the People Bank business to create a single entity uh, here in Australia. Excellent. And you were CEO of People Bank before that, where I, right. we first crossed paths That's right. a couple of years ago. Um, how long were you CEO of People Bank? Uh, about 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Good. And so this is a bit of a difference or a bit of a same, same, but different, different, but we, that's we will get into. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So... This is all about authentic leadership and being real and communicating in a way that's real. Authentic leadership, what does that mean to you? When you hear the term, you know, what does it mean to you? Yeah, well, I think firstly it's human leadership. Uh, I think uh, it's about leaders telling things like they are for good or for bad. Um, I, I also think it's positive and inspiring because it believes in the potential of people uh, and it understands the importance of people as being key in every outcome that a business delivers. Mm. Um, I think it's positive. I think it's focused on encouraging the heart and understands the importance of positive recognition and sees high standards as being part of authentic leadership. Yeah, yeah it's interesting you, you said the word potential as helping people uh, reach their potential, which is, I guess, your tagline at Chan McLeod, mm. Unleashing Potential. So is, it, is that when you think of authentic leadership as part of your role as CEO is to helping really help everyone reach their potential and you see that's authentic leadership? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, I do think there's actually starting to be a really big shift uh, in the world around what is the function of business. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll cover this off a bit later, but I actually think um, you know, businesses have a very, very important role to play in, in the world we live in and probably because of the breakdown of our political systems globally, a more important role than they've ever had. But interestingly enough, uh, as evidenced by the US Roundtable in August this year, who've defined the purpose of a business, it's about serving communities, our employees or our people that work for us, our customers, our suppliers, and at the end, it's about profitability. And mm. I think it's, from my point of view, it's delightful to hear that because... Um, probably for the last decade or so I've been prattling on about the importance of employees, uh, satisfied employees create satisfied customers who create satisfied shareholders, but it's in that order. Yeah. And so, so to have the US roundtable come out with this statement about the purpose of business being around satisfying employees and customers and all that stuff, I think, is a great reinforcement. There's a fairly tectonic shift going on in the... In the world, yeah. as we know, yeah, yeah. But, in, but in business as well. Yeah, it's um, that is pleasing to see too. I, I you know, I I worked at uh, I worked at NAB for seventeen years, fifteen years ago I left, and in that era, and it wasn't just NAB, it was all the companies then that their purpose was around being the most profitable. And I think even um, 
that was one of their mission statements to be the most profitable. And you're thinking, how, how is that a purpose for any company? But it was a lot of companies back then that that was, mm. that's what they were after, yeah. which which um, sort of seems ridiculous now. that you, you, Like, you, you sit there logically, if we do all that stuff, if we look after our employees, our customers, um, profit will come, mm. but to have that as a purpose. So I agree, it's been a really refreshing change over the last five years to see a shift in that, which is great. Um, still on the topic of authentic leadership, is there someone that you, or one person or a few people that you really admire in that space and why? Yes, I think uh, Alan Joyce, who's the CEO of Qantas, I think is a very good example in my mind of an authentic leader. Uh, I mean, he grounded the airline in 2011 because he wasn't comfortable with the workplace relations environment they had and he was willing to, to do that because he believed strongly that what the unions were proposing wasn't acceptable for the airline. Um, he obviously got on the front foot um, uh, in terms of telling his staff and the community about why he was doing what he was doing and obviously it was a pretty serious issue. Yeah. Um, and so I think he displayed great authentic leadership at a very critical time in sort of Qantas's uh, period, and uh, as we probably all know, you know, Qantas has actually gone on and flourished and prospered since then. So uh, I think that's a very good example. Yeah. Um, and through that process, no doubt a very stressful time. Uh, he was very front and centre at leading the whole conversation about why they were doing that and why it was important etc etc yeah it's interesting you mentioned alan in that answer as well because i agree he's he is one of um i would consider him a very authentic leader as well but in in what we were previously talking about the role of business um in serving the community because he of course took a very very active role in the um uh, the same-sex marriage and uh, was criticised by the government for doing that, saying that, you know, you should look after your business. But he came out and said, no, this is, this is the role of business, to play a really um, active lead in social activities. So the whole CEO activism uh, conversation, we're seeing a lot more of that, I think, because what you said, uh, the decline of trust in our governments to take the lead on some of this stuff that some CEOs are taking the lead. What, what's your sort of stance on that whole CEO activism thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it comes par with the course. Um, I mean, I think ideally, if it's in matters that relate to what the business does, that's absolutely appropriate. As an example, you know, we're in the staffing business and so it's very important that we have an active role in industrial relations mm. and shaping what modern industrial relations looks like going forward. So there's an example that, that we plan to be very active in terms of those uh, conversations about industrial relations because it's obviously very relevant to our community, the people we serve. And, you know, I had a meeting with a, a senior minister yesterday and I reinforced to him that I was there on behalf of our 13,000 casual employees, yep. I wasn't there trying to serve our profit motive. Um, so, you know, I do think business has does have an important role to play. And I think there's another example that I think business will play a very important role, and that's actually uh, the environmental issue. Uh, I think business has a capacity to play an enormous role in shifting the world in terms of how we respond to climate change and the, and the climate and, and the environment. And I think a couple of examples, you know, I think you can feel there's a major shift going on in the world and obviously there's protests everywhere, but when Coca-Cola 
mm. announces that all of their bottles from now on will be 100% recyclable, you know there's a groundswell mm. around um, around the environment, and I think that there's another example of the important role business can play yeah. in these issues. So as a CEO, you're taking an active role in some of those things, are you? Well, if, well we take an active role in the things that are, that are relevant to our business. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, so yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, you know, and, and you know, uh, yes, we're even taking an active role in the environmental issue, albeit you know, we don't have big factories or anything like that. So. Yeah, excellent. Um, talking about uh, authentic leadership and your values, have you had a time where you did not stay true to who you were, and were there any regrets or? Do you feel like most of your career you've you've stayed pretty much true to who you are? Yeah, look, there, there was a time when I was a lot younger man. I made a decision about an organisation I uh, I joined to work at, where that organisation didn't stand. It didn't have the values I had, and guess what? You know, it became untenable from my point of view that I stayed there. You know. The role I had, the job I had, the way I was treated were all fine and dandy, by the way. But at, at the heart of the culture of the company, they just didn't stand for the things I stood for. And, you know, I, after a very short period of time there, I had to effectively leave, uh, yeah. which I did. Um, so that's probably a good example. I, I think... Um, so I think a really important part of authentic leadership is being really clear on what are the values that you stand for um, because they will get challenged consistently but I think if you're absolutely clear on the things you stand for um, then I think a uh, couple of things happen I think one if there's an issue that comes across your desk or is presented to you that's in conflict with your values you are quick to say we wouldn't do that because it's against what we stand for as a company or I stand for as a person. Uh, and there's been a few of those recently. Um, uh, but, but additionally, I think, uh, which can be a little bit of a risk, that people start to know he's very, he or she are very values-based. These are the things he or she stands for. And only things that fall in line with those values get, get proposed. And I think that's actually... From a company perspective, how you create the cultures of companies is yeah. that over time the leader shapes the values and, and those things. So, do you think? Um, I th I think when it comes to standing true to your values, and I guess it's being really aware of your values and and standing up for them and standing true to them, that that does get a little bit easier as you get older. And I guess yeah. with wisdom, do you think it also gets easier the more senior you become? Like, I'd imagine, you know, at the, in the junior ranks or as CEO, there's there's pros and cons for both of standing up against a value or standing true to your value. Do you think it gets easier the more senior you become? Yeah, I think it does. And I think, um, um, you know, I think even just wisdom, the wisdom that yeah. comes with age too and even how you would deal with it. And it's probably the only one of the good things that come with age, <laughs> It is, and, and I think actually, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got, as you, because you're more senior, it's much more easier to deal with those issues, but equally you get smarter about how to deal with things that look like they're not inconsistent, uh, not consistent with your values. Yeah, excellent. What's, what, what would you say is the hardest part of your job? 
Uh, well, it's interesting. When I saw that question, I've got to say I love my job. Uh, I'm one of those people that jumps out of bed in the morning, looks forward to coming work to work, and that's partly because it's a challenge, and I love a challenge. So I, you know, uh, I wasn't sure there was a hardest part of my job, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I, I love what I do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. How do you handle, you know, as CEO, um, the whole work-life balance with the demands of your time. And your yeah, interesting, and even that one, I think, as you get older and wiser, you get smarter about it as well. I mean, there was absolutely a time in my life 20 years ago where I did not handle the work-life balance thing at, at all. Um, and I used to go home, even when I was at home, I was just thinking deep in thought about what was going on at work, and my family could see that. I was absorbed in work at home. And once again, now I think I've got quite good work-life balance. I've managed to compartmentalise. So, and the family knows that sort of Monday to Friday, Dad's focused on work and yep. that's his, what he's preoccupied. But weekends, you know, I transformed to being very focused on home and family and they're the priority. Okay. Um, and interestingly, I think that helps regenerate you or um, yeah. you know, refresh you over the weekend. So, so you've got, got kids? Yeah, four kids. Four kids. How yeah. old are they? Uh, 22, 19, 16 and 14. Okay. Are all, all still at home? or All still at home. Yeah. And boys, girls? Or? Two boys, two girls. Okay. So yeah, quite delighted. Yeah. So yeah, that's, and it's good. You know, um, to be honest, our greatest achievement, I think, in, in life is sort of our children and things. And, yeah. Um, you know, um, they're... Um, they're wonderful, to be honest. Well, so that, I mean, that would have been, you know, if you literally you've been CEO for 10, 11 years, that, that would be hard to balance that with the, the raising of four children and, and that. So, mm. uh, I'm very lucky. My, my wife's a stay-at-home mum and that's been gold. Yeah, I, I, think, I think sometimes it's, it's, it's almost impossible to do a job like that without a stay-at-home partner at the other end. I've, um, I've just finished uh, reading Annabelle Crabbe's quarterly essay on, um, about men and work and she said, she said that she used to get really annoyed when female CEOs would get asked the question, how do you balance with raising children and being a CEO? And she's come to realise that she doesn't get angry about that anymore because it's a really valid question. She just wishes more men were asked it. <laughs> just like, so I'm, I'm doing one for Annabelle Crabb here and asking you how you did it. Because I think it, I think it is a genuine question. It is. It just it should is. be asked of both genders. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. What are, um, so have you done anything embarrassing in business that you oh, look back and go, God, I wish I didn't do that? So firstly, I was born a Sagittarian and we are famous for footy and mouth, you know, oh. saying the wrong thing. Um, so I've done so many embarrassing things uh, over the time, too many to even talk about. But there was one recently, actually, which was very embarrassing. I went up, did the right thing. I was became aware that one of our employees, uh, it was their 10-year anniversary with the company, it uh, wasn't an employee I knew, so I walked over to the group where the employee sat and I congratulated the wrong person. <laughs> so, I think the person I congratulated actually had only been coming for about six weeks, but that's another story. So, needless to say, a very embarrassing moment. <laughs> yeah, I would have been telling someone off for not pointing out the right person to me. Anyway, that makes us all human. It does. Um, if you could change one thing about yourself, what, what would you say, do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, that actually for me I think is an easy one. Um, uh, you know, I'd love to be a much better listener. 
um, my passion and enthusiasm gets in the way of that. So um, uh, I'm often, you know, I'll take on the first part of it, and then of course I have mm. to, I have to respond. <laughs> I, I can so relate to that, and I'm just, but I'm just action orientated. I, I um, a few weeks ago I had a really sore throat, so I was at this like event, this dinner, and I. I had to speak the next day, so I was really trying not to talk. So I thought, oh, this is a good way to just not talk and listen. And I would just ask a couple of questions and nod. And I thought, well, this actually really worked. I think, you know, at the end, the woman said, thank you, that was such a great conversation. And I think it was because I talked less and mm. let her talk. So mm. um, I, I do. We're all a function of our history. And uh, I was, I'm the son of a doctor who was very, very outspoken on everything. Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. If, if so, you you said you'd change being a better listener. What what do you think your wife and kids would say if they said they could change one thing about you? Um, I, you know that'd be up there in their list. I suspect. Um, um, yeah, you know, I think the other one would be a bit, you know, be be home a bit more often. But that's not, yeah, it's another mm. story. That's the work life balance. I asked my um, family that once in preparation for a course I was doing and um, my eldest daughter, who was 16 at the time, when I said, what's one thing you change about me? Within a nanosecond, she said, admit when you're wrong. And I, I went, I don't think I have a problem with admitting when I'm wrong. And she goes, I rest my case. <laughs> 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 God, uh, smart yeah. So um, talking about your family, when you're not at work, and if they would say, you know, wish Dad was home a bit more, when you're not at work, what, what is um, some of the things you love doing? Yeah, so I mean, there's a few things. I mean, I actually love spending time with my wife, uh, uh, Saturdays. Uh, you, you said that like that was a novel yeah, thing. Yeah, well, uh, no, but, uh, it's, you know, it's one of my, I suppose, ways of relaxing yep. and uh, uh, leaving the workplace is spending quality time with my wife on, the, wife on the weekend. Excuse me. That's, that's, your, that's probably your f wife on the phone now. <laughs> um, uh, so that's uh, that's something that I put a lot of value on and yep. uh, really enjoy. Uh, I'm a big walker, uh, which I do find also helps. Uh, I, I come up with my best you, ideas. Yeah, yeah. Do you walk by yourself or with like uh, both, with your wife? Of, yeah, yeah. Sometimes with my wife, yep. sometimes on my own. Um, but I do find that uh, there's almost a, uh, there's a release, um, and I find it very creative and productive as well. So yeah. There's a couple of things. Yeah. What do others. you What do you do with the kids? Uh, the kids, um, we probably would try and catch up for lunch on one of the days, either the Saturday or the Sunday, as a yeah. family. Yeah. And the other thing we do uh, as much as we can is always sit at the table to have dinner. Yes, that's a um, big difference, isn't it? That's a big difference. Yeah, have a chat. Do you, um, do you still get to go away on family holidays? Yeah. Do they all come? Yeah, we yeah. do. Uh, and uh, my eldest daughter still is interested in coming on family holidays. Oh, I mean, nice. I'm assuming as, much, as long as mum and dad are paying that yeah. they're... <laughs> That they're coming along. And before you know it, you'll have all the boyfriends and the girlfriends tagging along as well. Um, is there anything that you really love or really hate that um, perhaps, you know, people around you don't know or your employees don't know? Really love or really hate? Uh, and the, the really hate's a difficult one. Yeah, okay. um, Good. Look, look, I probably would say on the, the really hate one, I think um, 
mediocrity or, or settling for a lower than acceptable standard. I mean, I really, really have a big issue with that. And, and I think the very important role of a CEO is to be, you know, making sure... Set the standard. You, you know, to set the standard and maintain the standard in whatever it is you're doing. Um, so that's probably a big one. Um, um, and I love most things too. I'm sort of, you know, I'm very passionate, so uh, um, I get pretty excited about quite a lot. To be Good. <laughs> You reminded me of that Seinfeld episode where he has a coffee and he goes, that's a great coffee. We should, like, <laughs> celebrate coffee. Oh, like, I've, got, I've got back into Seinfeld lately. They're, re, they're showing it, like, every weeknight at 8 o'clock, so I've been catching up on my old, old, old episodes. Um, I love a quote, so I always like to ask people what their favourite quote is mm. and, and what is it and, and why and why it resonates with you so yeah. much. Um, I have this on a little... Tea, we call the thing you put a cup of tea on. Um, place, place, placement. Uh, I was going to say um, saucer. Uh, so it's the, it's the Goethe quote, uh, which is summarised by this, but it's a much longer quote. Yeah. Uh, it's the summary is uh, boldness has genius power and magic in it. Begin it now, which is a call to action. It's also a, I think, a call to how to live your life, which is play bold. Mm. And in many ways, that quote embodies the story of my life in some ways so that's why I love that quote and it's a quote I regularly uh, use because you know I encourage people about the, the value of a bold play is mm. genius power and magic yeah um, I I'm, I'm actually a fan of that quote too and I love um, the fact that it's it's I'm a big believer that we all have genius inside of us like there, there's stuff inside of us true. but 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 so many of us don't own it, or either don't recognise it or don't own it. Um, and it takes boldness to say, you know what, I, I am going to do this, I am good at that, I whatever. Um, and, yeah, just having the courage to be bold and own that genius inside of you because that's when you can make a difference mm. to the people around you. That's a, that's a good quote. I haven't heard it for a while, so thank you for that. Um, as you know, I've started Jargon Free Fridays and trying, oh, well, trying, trying to yeah, trying to eliminate um, jargon and unnecessary use of acronyms is a bit of um, uh, obsession about mine. So, do you have a corporate jargon phrase that you hate? And if you could, which you probably can, because you're CEO, would ban it. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I tr truthfully, I have a. Uh, a dislike for corporate jargon, mm. and interesting enough, in this context, I think it, it damages authentic leadership. If, yeah. You know, so in fact, um, a leader who is full of jargonisms will struggle to be authentic. I think. Um, so uh, you know, there's not really corporate jargon, other than saying in general, I don't like it. Mm. Um, um, there's not really a saying or anything that I would say. But you that saying. <laughs> Irritate you. you. You haven't talked about pivoting. You're not pivoting. <laughs> I'm well aware of pivoting. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm just. I just. I'm so aware of the latest catchphrase. Yeah, it was like you know years ago. It used to be robust. Everything was robust and sustainable, and now it's pivoting. It's like oh my god. And then it just people just say it, and they don't even know what they're saying. Yeah, and, and corporate jargon lives for about three or four years, and yeah. then we move on to something else to describe Absolutely. what pivot is. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, it used to be tilt. tilt. Yeah, a few years ago, we were tilting our strategy. Now we're pivoting our strategy. I'm sure someone just makes up stuff and says, "Let's just make up a word and see if it can fly." Um, 
Excellent. Well, good. And and, and you're right. As 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 CEO on so many things, the CEO sets the sets the standard and role models the behaviour. And if you've got a CEO who is just you know jargon, 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 it's just it's just disconnecting people, and people aren't understanding what they're saying. So, good job. Now, I, I want to end on a, a few couple of few personal questions. Mm. So. Um, what is the one meal you love cooking? If in fact you're a cook, do you have a do you have do you have um, dad's go to? So I can tell you, this is the one where my family would say he's making it up. Uh, I rarely cook, uh, sadly, um, uh, but but when I cook, uh, it would be chicken fajitas. Right, okay. because the family loves Mexican, so my chicken fajitas are pretty good, uh, or apricot chicken. But just so oh, we apricot chicken now that's a throwback to the seventies. Oh. <laughs> no, uh, that, that's a text from your that's a text from your kids saying, <laughs> yeah. "Dad, stop lying." Yeah. So that'd be too my, my kind so of. So what's in your chicken fajitas? It's not you just cooking the chicken and everyone putting everything together, is it? Or it is. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you're nodding to me, going. You, my, you just. I'm like great guacamole. You just gave me that look, going, "Isn't that cooking?" <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, that's, no, no. yeah, so that's a, is that like a Sunday night maybe thing? Yeah, actually, cooks? it's often a Sunday night. Yeah, when you've got yeah. time. Yeah. Clearly when um, you've got time. But I, I've got to be honest, um, I actually quite like cooking, but I don't do it very often yeah, okay. at all. So. And so where's the apricot chicken come from? Was that a, like a, well, it's, fa- it's, a family favourite? Yeah, I think in, uh, you, you said it's a blow, blow back to the 70s. I, you know, I think it is a meal out of the 70s or, yeah. or early 80s. And yeah. It's a good one. It is a good one. And it also is easy to make, as you know. Yeah. You know? Just, just <laughs> so nectar and the French onion soup. That's, that's <laughs> Pour it over the top. And that's it. That's 45 minutes in the oven and it's, and I'm, it's a and I'm, and I'm a cook. It's a magnificent it's Straight out of the Margaret Fulton cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're sticking... Well, we moved from the 70s to the 80s now. What's your favourite 80s song or artist? Um... Uh, I think the 80s was the best year of oh, music, by the way. And I actually absolutely. Think, uh, even my daughter's generation would just about confirm that. Uh, I grew up in the era, which was the 80s, with Australia's great rock and roll bands, Cold Chisel, In Excess, Australian Crawl, Midnight Oil. Uh, though that, That's my era, and I could, I could just about sing you the chorus to every one of those songs. Oh, yeah. So that's a great era, and uh, you know, even today I love to listen to Smooth FM, which plays these songs. And it's fantastic. I um, while I was waiting for you in your foyer, I just on the TV I saw that Cold Chisel are perhaps doing their farewell concert, so their final tour concert. So isn't it fascinating? So there's a very interesting story about Cold Chisel, and at this point, I'm dangerously at risk of getting sued, <laughs> but. One of the reasons they have to keep touring is there's only one of them that owns the IP for the music. His name is Don Walker, and he is—he was the keyboard guy. He um, is very well off because right. he owns. Because he owns. He the wrote music. all the songs. Yeah. The rest of them have to keep touring because that's if that's you don't own the IP. <laughs> um, yeah. So. That's, well, there you that go. is apparently the story. Well, maybe it's not their farewell. Maybe. So I don't know if Don and Walker will, will be playing. No, he probably not. won't be playing. He'll be seeing that. But yes, the, no, I agree. 80s are the best song. I, I actually have um, my radio on Gold FM as opposed oh, to Smooth because okay. I find okay. it plays a bit more yeah. of the... But it is, is that a, the one that Brendan Favola's on? Oh, I don't, I don't do it in the morning. Oh, okay. I don't know. 
but yeah, I think so. But um, it is a sign of age when you're when you're doing you're flicking between talkback radio and the the old and goldies. As a, but anyway, that's that's us. Final question: If you could give one piece of advice to your twenty-year-old self, what would it be? Yeah, um, it'd be the importance of the mentors and the kind of the coaches. Um, and to sort of cultivate them and develop uh, a list of, you know, not a list, but a group of people that you can draw on uh, for advice, sounding board, all those things. Yeah. Do you do that in an f- official capacity, like literally have someone who's your mentor and they know your mentor, or you just have a more of a mentor mindset where you know there's a group of people you can go and ask for advice? Yeah, it's more the latter. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, and interestingly enough, you know, a lot of them are in their 60s or 70s and have great wisdom. Mm. And so, uh, and I will often go along and on, a, you know, on the basis of having a cup of coffee and sound them out about something. Yeah. Um, that, how did you go about doing this? Or how would you address this issue? And I find it invaluable. Uh, they're not always right, by the way, but you get another perspective that you hadn't thought of mm. uh, that mm. you can add to the sort of the, the, the mix of perspectives. Yeah, that, that's, some, that's some really good advice. I think people, um, you're never too young to, to do that, to have mentors. And, and like I said, whether it's that official capacity, like can you be my mentor or can I get your advice on something, it's having that mentor mindset right from the start that will really help you grow, I think. Mm. So, excellent. That is great advice. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here, you know, the cooking, the ladies, yeah. the mentors, the quotes. Um, thank you so much for being part of this podcast, and I wish you all the very best um, in what is relatively, I guess, your early part of uh, a new CEO role at Chandler McLeod. Thanks, Peter. Fantastic. Thanks, Gabrielle. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the Authentic Leadership Series. Visit the resource library on Gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership.